0: welcome to the manage self lead others podcast my name is nina sunday and i'm your host and this podcast is mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers to explore ways to elevate and transform team culture Week I speak with key experts from Australia and across the globe who share insights in self leadership and leading others. Fiercely Australian, fiercely global. Today's guest is Mark Boundy. He's worked in electronic components, telecom services, finance for commercial real estate and banking, and in all those industries, his was the highest priced option, which means Mark is an expert on value. With a degree in business administration from the University of Michigan's Ross Business School. He's author of Radical Value, which describes the importance of customer centricity. Mark Boundy is also host of the Value Clarity podcast. Welcome, Mark. I'm so delighted to have you with us today.
1: Nina, I'm thrilled to be with you today. Thank you so much for the invite.
0: So... One of the things that uh, you you speak over and over, and, and I noticed you've got hundreds of articles on LinkedIn. You must be writing your next book on LinkedIn, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one, one article at a time, turn it into a book. Well, yeah. just go to your LinkedIn and uh, Mark Boundy and uh, you have hundreds of articles. Customers buy outcomes, not the products or services that we think we're selling them. And yet one of the pitfalls of leading salespeople is that some have a tendency to skip steps to win. Can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, you know, I was a sales performance consultant for nine years with the world's oldest, largest, most successful sales training company, or at least in the B2B space. And I was one of several hundred consultants worldwide. And when we were to get together for our global meetings, Everybody realized that, like the dirty secret of this company, was that salespeople didn't really do well on one part of the training, and that was understand the customer's expected outcome. And since then, I found out that that's not just a problem with the Miller Hyman clients. Every training, every salesperson is bad at understanding the customer's outcome. Value is the desirability of the customer's outcome because customers don't buy your product or service. They buy their own outcomes for their own reasons. So if salespeople don't understand the customer's outcome, there's no way they understand value because that's the basis of value is the outcome. And so, and from long ago, I learned as a, a research assistant studying all kinds of consumer behavior research that Customers buy the value. That is the most important decision and then the most important part of the buying decision. So think about it. That means sales people are worst at the most important part of selling. Marketers are worst at the most important part of marketing. Business leaders are therefore don't have visibility into their outcome. Uh, McKinsey and Company found that less than 25% of boards of directors don't understand the value their p- company that they're on the board of provides for its customers. So if salespeople are bad at it, boards of directors don't understand value. That's a just it's a huge blind spot in all of business. So that's. That's why I wrote the book and that's my practice is let's just get really good at that basic bit of understanding value.
0: And what I'm, cause I look back at my own sales process and also different companies before I was self-employed, where I worked as a salesperson. Um, is it, does it come right from the start where a, a salesperson does not take the time to ask lots of questions first? of this uh, potential new client before they start pitching their solution. Is that is that one of the problems? They they need to ask more questions about what the customer is looking for?
1: Yes, and it's not the quantity, the number of the questions. Uh, you could ask one big tell me a story question and then shut up for 10 minutes while the customer goes on and on about that response because you asked such an insightful question that's so broad ranging. That's one question where you got a ton of of information. So it's not about the number of questions, it's about what you find out about the customer's world. What are their needs? What are their aspirations? What does top management think are the priorities? What are the top management risks? How do they make their money? What's their cost structure? You can can do some of that research before you come in, but, but before you come into that first appointment, but before you walk out of that first appointment, you better have asked a lot of questions that understand the customer's world, the situation, their fears, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. And you'll pick more of them up as you go along. But 83% of customers in B2B say that salespeople do not understand them or their business. Uh 83%. So, and 97% of customers don't feel that salespeople are trusted advisors. So 3% are trusted advisors, 16% actually give the impression that they know something of value about your business. So if you're trying to outcompete your, your competitors, look
0: at how low the bar is. So you, you do discuss value and you give it quite a deep definition. So perhaps uh, what is value?
1: Yeah, that's really great, Nina. We all think that we know about what value is. And when you ask 19 people what value is, the definition, you'll get 20 definitions. So let me give a definition that's a little bit wordier, but it's one that you can sink your teeth into and it becomes actionable for your sales, for your marketing, for your product people. Um, I heard one definition I kind of like, but it's not actionable. It's value is what people will pay. All true, but now how do I affect or how do I change the value? So remember that customers don't buy your product or service, they buy their own outcomes. The definition of value is the desirability of those outcomes that a customer achieves from doing business with you. So your conversations with the customer shouldn't be about your product, your service, your features, your benefits, your speeds, your feeds. They should be about the customer's perceived outcomes and then connecting your stuff to their desired outcomes. If you have the mindset that I'm not trying to sell my stuff, I'm trying to grow my customer's business. I'm trying to improve my customer's world using my stuff. And so now I have to know enough about the customer's world so that I can plug my stuff into it in a meaningful way that's meaningful to the customer in their world, through their perspective, through their eyes, so that value comes into existence in the customer's mind. Because value only exists in your customer's mind.
0: Now, in a sense, you can really only talk value if you are speaking to the decision maker. How common is it that they send a junior member of the team to find out what your product and your prices are. And then there's a term I I use, column fodder. In other words, they're just gonna put you on a spreadsheet and you're gonna be compared spreadsheet-wise with every other provider. I find that's the biggest challenge.
1: Oh man, you're you're mostly right. Um, We have done salespeople such a huge disservice by convincing them that customers now self-inform on the internet and develop their own list of needs, and now you just have to be really good at understanding the customer's needs. Because look at how much time you spent in product training, learning the ins and outs and the subtleties and the nuances of your product or service. And imagine a customer trying to get that level of expertise through some casual internet searching that's naive to think that a customer can get anywhere close. And so what happens is the customer self informs and that self-informed vision of the future, what they think they want, is underwhelming, undersized, naive, and limited. And then we teach salespeople to go in and jump on those customers and ask them about their needs, about their pains, about their gains. We try, we seek to get a perfect understanding of that customer's vision of the future. But remember the customer's vision of the future is an imperfect vision. So we got this imperfect vision of the customer's imperfect vision, or, you know, this, this perfect image of the customer's imperfect vision. And every single sales force is got the exact same thing because all of you, have asked the customer for the same pains. And the only ones that the customer can articulate are the ones that they figured out doing their self-informing. And so they're telling you and they're telling all your competitors, which means now you're fist fighting in the phone booth. The salesperson who takes the time to understand the customer's world and say, hey, did you ever think about this? Or some of our customers can also do this. I see it wasn't in your needs statement, but this seems like it might be a real valuable thing. What do you think? That's how you distinguish
0: yourself from
1: competitors.
0: Yes, I've, I've heard of this concept called provocative selling, where you deliberately find a, a contrarian point that it isn't off track, of course, but really hone in on what's the one thing that the customer doesn't know they probably do need, uh, even though you might have to say, I might be going out on a limb here, but how do you feel about that?
1: I love what you're, you know, is contrary, contrarian selling. I've heard it called challenger selling. There's a book called The Challenger Sale, and the idea of challenging your customer's vision, and is what I teach. Is it's that's extremely valuable. However, just being a contrarian makes you an annoying know-it-all. You have to do that based on your understanding of the customer, based on having built credibility. Because if you didn't build credibility, you don't understand all these things that the customer doesn't understand about their own business. And you have the bedside manner, if you will, to productively and positively articulate those additional outcomes, then you're doing it right. The, the raw be provocative just means be a jerk. <laughs> right? Right. And half the time that fails, actually the research under this challenger sale, they found that half of the highest performing salespeople are this challenger type who kind of shake up the customer's perspective. But in company after company, they test their salespeople and they find that half of their low performing salespeople are also this challenger type, except those people are the annoying know-it-alls. So if you hire challengers, at least you know they're not going to be average. The problem, is the, 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 the problem is half of them are driving your customers away and as fast as the other half are trying to win them. It'll and be that's 50, no way 50, to run 50,
0: it. 50% will love them and 50% will hate them. Well, that's a bit risky. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've been, uh, I've been looking at some of your chapter titles and they're quite uh, pithy and quite... They kind of nail things. Uh, the chapter about growing the desirability of an outcome, and I'm assuming you're making uh, the desirability in the mind of the of the customer. Can you can you elaborate on that, please?
1: You bet. Uh, desirability doesn't matter until it exists in the mind of the customer. Value is not value until it exists between your customers' ears. Period. And so sales and marketing are a lot more like brain surgery than you thought because you're trying to cause something to happen between somebody's ears so um here's a great example right i have a client that sold commercial carpeting And so we all understand what carpet is and we all understand office buildings and office buildings with carpet are what this company sold. So pretty easy for you, uh, anybody in your audience to understand what that was. And this, this company's carpet lasts longer. So imagine if the carpet lasts 20% longer, you should be able to charge 19% price premium for it. And the customer will be happy. If you charge a 15% price premium, the customer should be very happy because they're uh, getting some value pie. And so the salespeople at this company, as well as customers, were used to buying on that arithmetic, the dollars per year. However, we said, you know what, there are other outcomes available because you last longer. It's not just the dollars per year, but every time that carpet wears out, there's a replacement cycle. And I want you to every salesperson to understand what the carpet is going to be sitting on in that office. Is it in a conference room or is it underneath the 24 by seven by 365 customer service department? Because if it's under the CERT customer service, you need to start asking questions about what is the business disruption that's going to happen when we replace the carpet? Cause it's a two day minimum job moving the furniture out, peeling the carpet, scraping the floor, putting new adhesive, replace the carpet, replace the furniture, hook up the computers, um, listen to the complaints about you broke my mug and my granddaughter's picture is missing and da-da-da, right? So it's a minimum two days. And ask the customer service manager, what is the cost to the company of a two-day business disruption to replace a doggone carpet?
0: Right, Right. okay, so you're looking right? at the opportunity cost of them not going for your uh, product or service so you have to look for that gap so it's
1: it's a very easy concept to talk about with a customer and as soon as you mention it they just they automatically can do the math in their head but customers don't do that math in their head they don't think about business disruption until you as the salesperson walk them through the question of you know when you replace carpet there's a business disruption right Oh, I didn't think of that. Now let's walk through and give the detail. So now when you have that discussion, first you just say there's a business disruption, people think about that. Now, walk me through visually, walk me through what happens in the business disruption. You walk them through the two-day process. And then you walk the customer service person through what happens when, how would you deal with this business disruption? Are you gonna set people up in a remote site and split people working? How does that work and what's that gonna cost? And the more you talk about it with that customer service manager, the bigger that problem gets. And the more little results of the bad result of the bad result show up in their mind because they think, you know, that means I'm going to have to hire an extra manager. I'm going to be running through, you know, between the two split offices. It's going to be a nightmare. I can't do that because value then through the art of that conversation comes into existence between your customer's mind. And it's not like you're inventing something that didn't exist, it just didn't exist between your customer's ears.
0: That's right. So you've had this conversation, and as we all know, um, the person you're speaking to isn't necessarily the only decision maker. I assume that you'd then make that an, a, a point in the action plan or proposal that you're going to be sending them, maybe summarized in a, in a brief way.
1: Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. So normally carpet is, I'm going to go back to the carpet example. Normally carpet is sold and there isn't a decision maker. There's, there's one person who owns the budget and you might call them the decision maker, but they get input from the designer, the facilities. And there's a kind of a standard buying team that weighs in that gives their recommendations to that economic buyer or the budgetary, the budget holder. But that standard team, when that that team was self-informing on the internet, they put facilities and the designer and and a couple other people in that team, and that was the team. But 100% of the time, they didn't include the customer service manager who was on there, right? And if I sell the longest lasting carpet, it's in my interest to add that customer service manager to the team. ...and not take the team the way that the team had originally envisioned buying buying this stuff. We want to add a person who's a natural ally for our product with our differentiation to that team. Now maybe the competitor who sold based on a lower price but highly convenient for the installers and the delivery people maybe they wanted to add some more delivery people to the team and talk about how much easier the delivery was going to be and so that salesperson for the the delivery the the person that the competitor that differentiated based on how easy it was to install and deliver they're going to add a different person and so now we've but The idea is that that simplistic way that the team informed themselves and developed a decision team isn't the team that is the best for you as the seller, and it isn't the team that's going to help that customer make the best decision for them. If that business disruption is important, it's going to be important. And it's up to you as a seller to know enough about the customer's business, not just the stuff, not just the carpet part of the business, but their business business so that you can understand the importance of business disruption, be a business consultant and help their business move forward through the beauties of your carpet.
0: You you talk a lot about silos and silo limited customers. So how would uh, a salesperson invite another member, uh, you know, the customer service manager, into the decision. I mean, if they're not already, I mean, you're overstepping your role a little, aren't you? Or
1: You, you are. And it takes some really good political skills and uh-huh. I, I call it bedside manner again. So the people who are on the team will include somebody from facilities. Yeah. And so I might, for instance, if I, especially if I had a lot of credibility with that facilities person to say, you know, we've found that the, the business disruption aspect of this carpet replacement is something that's really important. And I noticed that this carpet, from, from the floor plans you've given me, I've noticed this carpet includes the customer service department. And, you've, and I saw from your website that you've got 24 by 7. Tell me about the cost that you have of the business disruption. Facilities person said, I don't know. Well, how about if we get that customer service agent and let's have that conversation with them together so we can get your costs, your business, because I don't want to give you canned numbers that are on average. I want you to do your own cost estimate.
0: You know, that's absolute gold, Mark, and uh, I appreciate you uh, following that, uh, that train of thought. <clears throat> Just on the concept of silos, you, you talk about everybody in the organization should be looking for, uh, what was the phrase? Not sales opportunities, but sales gaps.
1: Value gaps. Yeah. 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 So a value gap is an outcome that we're not achieving now that we we want to. And so they can be known or unknown, right? I can be the person that introduces a, a value gap to them that be, then becomes uh, a serious value gap. So we're looking for and creating value gaps. When I was, well, many years ago, multiple decades ago, uh, there was maybe five people in my company that regularly touch the customer, two of which had sales roles or sales titles. And now, today, fast forward a couple decades, two or three of them, I have clients in the SaaS market, in a SaaS market, that have 12 and even 15 roles that regularly touch the customer. We've divided sales into SDRs, BDRs, Inside sales, demo specialists, outside sales, oh, wow. um, account managers, uh, key account managers. We've got three layers of customer service. We've got technical support engineers. Uh, we've got and installation. <laughs> and so today, the salespeople are the minority shareholders in the customer interface, where 30 years ago, they held, held most of it. And so think about this 30 years ago, when salespeople had most of the customer interface, we told the other two or three, it's okay, just do your job, stay in your lane, don't talk to the customer about their business, but do your job and come back to the office. And that was maybe not optimal, but it was passable when those people had the minority of the customer interface. Now, those affiliated roles have the majority of the customer interface, that's not if you wait it, that's that's before you even wait it by who's trusted most by the customer. Because most of the time out of those 12 or 15 roles, the salespeople are in the bottom one third of the trust hierarchy. And so now I've got 12 people who regularly talk to the customer, who have more trust with the customer and who talk to people that salespeople will never have. And we still tell them, you know, stay in your lane, do your job and come back to the office. Don't have a business conversation of any kind. When I face corporate leaders with that reality, they always say, oh my God, you're right. I think I just boiled a frog. <laughs> right? You know, the, the story about putting a frog in a cold That's water right. and it got hotter and hotter. So it's ridiculous when you look at where we've come. And it's not because our products are more complex. It's that we've done this natural human process management thing of taking roles and subdividing them and giving people expert expertise and, and, and specialization in finer and finer sections of our process. Customers have done the same thing. Uh, customer buying teams have gone from four or five to 6.8 and up to 20 in some purchases. And it's not because our products are more complex, it's that the customer's buying organization is more complex and more siloed. Hmm. And nobody on your buying team knows the, their whole company business anymore. They only know their silo. And so that makes it even more important for a salesperson to understand the customer's big business picture, because none of the people on your buying team know it anymore.
0: So this really has to be driven top down, you know, le- the uh, co- company leaders, people managers. Uh, they need to kind of try and see a holistic view of sales and not just leave it to the sales manager. Would that be right?
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the blessing and the curse of my book is that it's not a sales book. If it was just a sales book, I could talk you know, talk to vice presidents of sales and, and kind of be done with it. But this is a way of doing business where salespeople and at now everybody who touches the customer has to have business conversations. We have to gather insights so that, you know, and then put them in a place where everybody can see them. And so the marketing people can start talking about customer outcomes instead of features and benefits product. People can start de- designing products that look more like what the customer wants that deliver outcomes that are better for the customer sometimes with very minimal product development. Um, when you understand your customer, it's amazing the number of huge value things that you can do for 50 lines of code because you just asked the right question. And so now, and then once we understand the value, now we can price to our value and use less discounting and actually have customers prefer our higher value products at a higher price. So suddenly this whole ethos of a holistic view of value becomes something that everybody in the company contributes to and benefits from.
0: And one of your chapter titles is Price is the Mother's Milk of Profits. So what can you tell us about pricing power? Look at any company's
1: oh this is yeah this is where I really get excited. Look at any company's financial statements. Think of your own company. If you're a salesperson, imagine dropping your price by whatever percent. Did you, did the work your company had to do change in any way when you dropped your price? Or are you asking your company to do the exact same amount of work, expend the exact same amount of cost, you just got less money for it?
0: And so, and it's actually profit, straight off the top profit every time you discount. Because your cost
1: didn't change.
0: Oh. So that,
1: that reduction in price I just, I had a guest on my podcast and I told him, you know, this, and he said, oh, Mark, that's brilliant. I said, you're donating, when you discount, you're donating your profit dollars to your customers.
0: Surely, if a customer asks for a discount, you, you're duty bound to negotiate and trade and go, well, as you have requested a discount, uh, what say we don't include blah, blah, blah. Is that sort of that negotiation approach?
1: Um, that's part of it. I, I love the principle of never give a concession without getting something in return. That's right. Because your price is your is communicates your value. And if you if somebody wants lower price, then there has to be some value that they're willing to give up. The other thing is if you have built the value up through that entire sales process, we talked and talked about the business disruption of our carpet. And now you're asking, you know, and we realized that the business disruption value of our longer lasting carpet is three or four times the price of the carpet. Our competitors could give you the next three replacement cycles worth of carpet for free, and it still wouldn't give you the financial benefit of our carpet at regular price, Mr. Customer. We did that math together using your numbers, didn't we? And now you're chiseling me for a 5% discount. Come on.
0: Would you say that?
1: Um, <laughs> not quite like that. I have said it when the relationship was.
0: Stronger. That's right. When there's trust.
1: And it, when, but you can, you can say, look, Mr. Customer, I genuinely appreciate that. You're just doing your due diligence to make sure that there's not any money left on the table, but as we've found using your figures the value of our product far outweighs the price and the price premium we're charging. And we discovered that using your people, your figures, your dollars, and we feel really comfortable with the price where it is.
0: Oh, that's a nice way to say it. Thanks for that. That is, that's another gem. Thank you. Um, Now, another chapter before we finish, and it's just such an amazingly rich conversation, Mark, I appreciate it. You've got this chapter called cost cutting you can't shrink your way to growth.
1: <laughs> All right. Um I'm old enough now so that I've been through a couple of recessions and I've been through a couple of companies that have been in struggle and had to downsize. And so I'm not saying don't downsize because sometimes it's necessary. But there has never been a time in the world's business where that cost cutting was a way to achieve growth. It was a way to achieve survival. It was a way to maybe get back to marginal profitability. And those are great things, but never, ever mistake shrinking for a growth strategy. It's merely a survival strategy. You cannot shrink your way to growth.
0: And that's really important in the these days because we're coming out of COVID where perhaps a lot of cost cutting had to occur. But now if we really want to grow, we have to kind of open up our minds and our wallets a little and just, you know, uh, move forward.
1: No, and you're absolutely right. And during all of that, you better have been in deep contact with your customer, having business conversations about what matters, what doesn't, what's changed in their world, how are they coming out of COVID, what is going to be important for them, so that as you scale up, you don't just blindly scale up to the old business model you had before you need to be having those business conversations to scale up to the next normal and i don't think there's going to be a new normal singular we are in for a rolling series of bigger changes than ever Um, welcome to the roller coaster ride i i i joke that you know back in the 2018-19 we told ourselves that the only constant was change and then 2020 came along and said here hold my beer and then 2021 said you got nothing let me show you change and now that as we're coming out there's going to be rolling sets of who's going to be uh, coming out and what are the uh, commodities that are short and how are people adjusting and how are travel opening up and how do people want to work now there is not going to be a settled new normal that you can just that your leaders can foresee and then make a plan for and roll out to their company you're going to have to change constantly from your customers in and from the bottom up which means that everybody change before we have to (laughs) yeah right and so now everybody in your company is going to do what we're just talking about that is everybody who touches the customer have business discussions about what's changing what's working well how can we add more value and so this whole idea of everybody who touches the customer has business conversations is the competitive necessity for how we come out of this
0: yeah I definitely uh refer people to get this book because you go obviously into greater detail and we're really just touching on the concepts and I've actually left probably the best one to last you talk about differentiation something that only you can deliver so that's a biggie so tell us about that please Mark
1: the way human beings decide. The way we are wired as organisms is based on differentiation. The and the human ancestors on the savanna that noticed two eyes peering out of the tall waving grass passed their genes on more successfully than the human ancestor who only saw the waving grass. We are hardwired to look at differences and process information based on differences. If you doubt this, look at that last time you bought two anythings, two cars for instance. You didn't say they both have four wheels, check. They both have steering wheels, check. They both have seats, check. No, what you did was saying, I like these wheel covers better than those. I like these cup holders locations better than those. I like this navigation system better than that one. You looked at the difference and then you asked yourself, how much would I pay for that difference? How much would I pay for that difference? This one here is better. How much do I subtract for that difference? We make all of our buying decisions based on differentiation. So if you as a salesperson are bombing your customer through all the stuff that's the same as your competitors and then sneak in a little bit of your differentiation and then continue to bomb them with more stuff where you're the same as your competitors, You're asking your customers to pick your differentiation out of the waving fields of sameness. Yeah. You're asking your customer to differentiate for you. And what do you expect them to do with that?
0: Buy? You're you're making them work too hard. Exactly. (laughs) They may not even do it.
1: Human beings' brains were wired to be lazy that way.
0: Sometimes they just uh, buy the, the last when they're ready to buy the next next salesperson that contacts them again <laughs> yeah
1: so human beings operate on differentiation so understand how you're different and then plan your whole sales and marketing around that differentiation go back to the carpet our carpet will last longer so how do we how do we talk about that our marketing has to talk about business disruption our sales training has to talk about business disruption the sales conversation plan let's talk about the business disruption and so now we've got a whole marketing and sales plan around the cost of business disruption and so that helps our salespeople have that conversation around our differences
0: so it's getting back now because uh, to the fact that i know that if i'm sending a proposal if uh, whoever i'm sending it to is going to be showing it to at least two or three other people so to some degree, I have to find a way to succinctly list what my differentiators are. Is, that, is there a, a way to do it that, that kind of grabs a, a customer's attention that isn't bogging them down in too much word, wordage?
1: Yeah, you know, there is always somebody or somebodies, multiple somebodies, who are reviewing your proposal to make sure that it checks off the boxes in their standard request and those people if you possibly can i want you to separate out those people from from the herd the customer buying committee and say look you've asked for these requirements we meet them and um to use i don't know if you have the sign have seinfeld fans you want to yada yada everything that's the same right yeah 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 we're just like that we just we do it we do it yes fine and i'm happy to go offline with you and tell you exactly how we meet the requirements But what I'm here for today is I really want to talk to you about this differentiation. So I don't want to negate the importance of the requirements, but you and I both want to be able to talk about how we are different from the other proposals. Can we spend our time talking about that?
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: And so when you're giving a proposal, maybe the executive summary says, yada, 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 we meet the requirements, but here's how we're different.
0: Right. That's nice. That's nice. Oh, um, Mark, look, I guess we could go on and have a double episode, but perhaps we shouldn't. Maybe we should just invite you back sometime. I would love to.
1: <laughs> because I come talk, back and do one an in value Value-based
0: prospecting. Uh, oh yeah, that was another good one. Value-based prospecting. I recently achieved this outcome. It's like a case study where you yep. talk to a current customer about an outcome you achieve for another one?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, doing your research before you talk to it, before you call a customer um, and say, you know, I recently had a customer who had this need that through your research, you know, they have. Do you have that problem? Uh-huh. Right? And so they are forced into a position of either saying yes or lying. Yeah. Or, you know, a couple percent of the time, you're, you're actually wrong. And it's okay if they're lying, because you generated the credibility to say that you have some deep insights about their business. And if they say, no, I don't have that problem, it's probably, yeah, I got that problem, but right now I just don't have the time to deal with a salesperson about it because I got other fires that I got to deal with. So you say, I I understand. Do you mind if I call you back sometime with some other insights? Well, right? You've developed a credibility, right? You've developed insight and credibility. Yeah, they're
0: going to take your call
1: again because
0: you've. Because you're not calling them to see if they want to buy. You're actually going to have a conversation about an insight or observation that's going to add value. Yeah. Whether they buy from you or not. Yes.
1: And then if they say yes, well, they may have tons and tons of problems, but you know they have that one. (laughs) Yeah. right? Because they agreed to invest half an hour of their own time talking about that. So make sure that in your conversation plan, you at least start with that and build on to all of the the children of that problem, if you will, right? There's the business disruption, which is not just the moving of the furniture, but now, well, with fewer replacement cycles, there's also the shabby look of the carpet. How can we talk about that? And da-da-da-da, right? You can during that meeting once you've earned the right to have that meeting you can expand and look stick your nose underneath all of the other tents that might be there
0: yeah and it's it's good if you're uh, ahead of time keeping track of what you discussed in the conversation and make sure that these issues are what you ask them about so that you you're then giving them a summary of what you discussed and so you can build it in that way
1: brilliant nina you're absolutely right Uh, i will just add an asterisk to say to the marketing folks in your audience. Well, how about if the marketing materials talk about that business disruption so that when that salesperson does the prospecting about business disruption saying, I recently helped somebody with a business disruption, they aren't totally taken aback. And maybe they'll even do an inbound call based on the business disruption of carpet because you did it with your, your content. And maybe, If you didn't get called in right away, now they're going to ask your competitor who competes on price, tell me about the business disruption. Tell me about the longevity of your carpet because I've become sensitized to the business disruption. So marketing folks, it's not just the prospectors.
0: Yeah. Mark, um, you're you're in, in the USA uh do you have clients from all over the world or you just work in the usa or how i
1: have clients yes i have clients all over the world uh, right now i'm working with a client headquartered in paris with offices in london singapore australia and not north america
0: all oh, right yes yeah. so <laughs> anybody listening to this podcast can uh contact you uh, with a view to perhaps working with you no matter where they are in the world
1: it's- i, I I love doing that, and I realize that I do have my, you know, my American goggles, and I'm always sensitive to the differences in different parts of the world. And I think learning about them is just as great for me as maybe learning from value is, about the, is of value to you.
0: One of the things about COVID making us more uh, online, means that there's a greater cross-pollinization than ever before. And that's what's truly exciting about the the post-COVID world.
1: And it's been so great meeting you, Nina, at at some of these calls and and networking with you. And what a great opportunity. And maybe that next um, follow-on episode we can do in person if I get down to Brisbane.
0: Oh, I would absolutely love it, Mark. That would be wonderful. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. There's uh, so much value in your book, Radical Value. I, I think it's a very important book.
1: I actually have a guide saying, if you are a salesperson, here's the chapters you need to read in detail. Here's the ones to skim, and here's the ones to skip. If you're a marketing person, read, skim, skip. If you're a business leader, read, skim, skip.
0: I saw that. Yes, yes. I thought that was absolute genius. Business leader uh, track, sales leader track, seller track, marketing track, product or service leader track, and so on. Oh, wow. That was right in the introduction. So you don't have to read the whole thing. You can read the bits that are pertinent to your role. Yep. Genius. Thank you, Mark. It's been a real- Thank you so much, Nina. I loved I love the conversation. Thank you so much. Today, we've been speaking with Mark Boundy on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Remember to subscribe and listen to Manage Self, Lead Others wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, ciao for now.